you're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it is such a gift to have you here with us today at Christmas time. Uh, last Sunday was Legacy Sunday, and uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much to all of you who gave. Your generosity is overwhelming. We raised $52,000 for Legacy Offering this year, and I'm so, so, I'm just... I'm overwhelmed. I'm so grateful. We're going to be able to put that money to good use. We already were able to give a big gift to the Dream Center this past week. And uh, April just told you they, were, they put that to good use with a thousand bikes and Christmas presents for kids. And so, man, we just love partnering with them and, and the work that they're doing. And we just look forward to being able to give more of that away in the coming weeks. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. If you haven't given yet, you can. That fund is open through the end of this month. And so you just go into gatherashville.org slash giving and you select legacy from the drop down menu. And that's how you do that. Well, we're in a series called A Christmas Story today, A Christmas Story. And what we're doing, our goal is to go through the three different versions of the Christmas story, which appear in the Gospels, and learn about Jesus as the King of Kings. We talked about him as the King of Kings last week, and and why we should worship him like a king, and what it means that he's the King of Kings, what Matthew wanted us to understand about him being King of Kings. And and then today we're going to talk about him being the Prince of Peace, and next week, Lord of Lords. And so I'm enjoying learning Learning as I as I study for this series, I hope you're in, enjoying taking a look at the Christmas story today. We're looking at everybody's favorite Christmas story. You may know it or recognize it from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It's Luke chapter two, Luke's Christmas story. We're talking about shepherds and angels and mangers and all kinds of good stuff today. And so let's get into it. I want to read this first. Uh, And so listen, I'm going to be reading the Christmas story today and next Sunday, and it's a lot of Bible, but if you just came to church and you were hoping not to have to listen to a whole lot of Bible, I'm sorry, okay, you're in the wrong place. I'm going to read through this story. Let's get into it. You know what? If you got a paper Bible, it would just feel so good right now to crack that sucker open to chapter two and just feel like the binding creak because you just, I'm, a, I'm always on my iPad or my phone. And so whenever I open up one of my paper Bibles, it's always like a little bit. And it's like, oh, I should look in this more. And so, uh, <laughs> all right, chapter two uh, of, of Luke's gospel. Here it goes. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. We talked about that last week. We talked about how Matthew went to great extent to show us exactly how Joseph was descended from David. He showed us the full genealogy all the way down in Matthew chapter 1 so that we would understand that Jesus was the next rightful king in the king of the Jews, in the line and the succession of David. 
David. And so uh, Luke just kind of breezes through it here real quick. He says he belonged to the house and the line of David. Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I love the King James. They were sore afraid. I was sore afraid. But the angel, sounds like a Mark Twain saying, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It says in King James, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We'll come back to that idea. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on, her, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I want to talk about three different things that matter, and I think Luke needed us to know from his gospel. I think each gospel writer had something that they were trying to communicate specifically through their telling of the gospel. Matthew and Luke specifically tell a lot of the same similar stories throughout their gospels. They're, they're part of what we call the synoptic gospels, meaning that they, they, they match up, they align with one another. You see a, a similar story from differing perspectives in each of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. But their Christmas stories between Matthew and Luke are very different. And so I think there was a, a goal they had in mind of something they needed us to understand and learn and see. And I want to look at what a couple of those things are from the gospel of Luke today. The first thing to notice, to take note of, or that we're meant to, to receive is the manger, the manger the manger, born in a barn, laid in a feeding. A manger, if you don't know, uh, maybe you've just always thought a manger was a, a, a birth bed for Jesus. That's the only context you've ever heard that word in, and so this is what it is. But if you've got the, if you've got the nativity set that I have, little baby Jesus, little blonde hair, blue-eyed, precious baby Jesus lays on a little feeding trough with straw in it and a cloth on top. That's what mine looks like. I don't know what yours looks like. Like maybe you've got one of these minimalist sets and, and it doesn't look like that at all. I don't know. But uh, in the, the manger was just a feeding trough. It was a space for the animals to eat from. It was a little space for them to eat from. And, and let's talk about it for a second. Let's take a moment to understand the significance of the manger this morning. Now, 
Let's start with the author of this gospel, Luke. Luke was not born Jewish. Uh, Luke was not from Jerusalem or Judea or Galilee like many of Jesus' followers, especially his early followers and his disciples. Instead, Luke was a Greek physician. He was a doctor, a learned man. He had a higher education and a higher literary understanding than most of the other people who take part in writing the Gospels in the New Testament. Luke was a a physician. He was Greek. He traveled with Paul, and most of his writings came from Paul. Uh, But in constructing his gospel, the gospel of Luke, he pulled together stories and research from many people who knew Jesus. He spent time in Jerusalem meeting with different disciples. He, He received it from Paul. He received it from early followers, people who had known Jesus. Many believe that his story of Jesus' birth came from Mary herself, that he spent time learning from Mary what happened. Matthew's letter was written to a Jewish audience, and we can see that in his Christmas story with so many of the elements uh, that we discussed last week pointing to a Jewish author writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew made a point to show the people that were reading it that Jesus was the proper and rightful king of the Jews. He used genealogy to show them that rather than just explaining it briefly like Luke does in his gospel. He, he would, uh, Matthew would use lines and words from specific Jewish prophecies about the Messiah to help people understand that this was in fact the Messiah that they would have been familiar with his coming. Uh, uh, Matthew carries on the same audience throughout his gospel, a gospel audience that is written really to a Jewish people. Luke made his gospel more accessible to a Gentile audience. And so as you study the gospel of Luke, it is written more so to people like you and me. People, most of us here, some of, some of you may have had a, a Jewish upbringing, maybe you have Jewish ancestry, but the majority of us in this room most likely uh, do not have a Jewish upbringing, did not have a bar mitzvah, do, don't have a full understanding of what it means to be Jewish, weren't, weren't taught the prophets when we were growing. And, and so this gospel, gospel was meant to make more sense to us, Gentile. Gentile is the early Jewish word for anyone who is not Jewish. It was written to the Gentiles. And this is clear, I believe, in Luke's gospel writing of the Christmas story. Because the story that Luke tells shows us that there was no place and no people that Jesus wasn't willing to have relationship with. There was no place he wasn't willing to go in order to have relationship with us. Nobody was too far gone, and no person was considered to be out of reach. The manger itself is the very first evidence of this. See, Jewish people, their culture, the culture that Jesus was born into, placed a very high value on holiness and on cleanliness because God told them to. But in the 400 years since the last Jewish prophet uh, spoke the words of God to his people, between 400 years between that moment and the moment that Jesus was born, rabbis took 
the commands of the Old Testament into their own hands. They, they made them more legalistic. They added to them. They created all kinds of laws around the laws that God had given to protect people from breaking those laws. A law to protect you from breaking a law. Don't you wish you had more of that in your life? Don't you wish you had some more rules in your life to help prevent you from breaking the rules? That's what was happening all around the Jewish world in those 400 years of silence between the last prophet of God and the moment that Jesus was born. And so there was an even higher value on holiness and cleanliness in the world Jesus was born into than there was in the Jewish culture originally as the way God designed it. Uh, The rabbis, uh, we called them Pharisees, or they called themselves Pharisees, they took God's laws so far that it pushed people away and made them feel untouchable and unworthy to God. Entire sects of people, groups of people, felt unworthy to God as a result of this law. So consider then how profound it would have been in a culture obsessed with the holiness and cleanliness of God to learn that the Messiah and the very Son of God was not born in a palace or in a temple after a, a cleansing ceremony, but rather he, was, he wasn't even laid in some holy and perfect place, some gilded bed or crib that was made just for him. Rather, he was born in the dirtiest, least holy place in Bethlehem and laid in a feeding trough for animals. See, I believe this was the very first sign of who Jesus came for, who he was here to reach, everyone, from the, from the very bottom up. The second sign was who he appeared to, the shepherds, the shepherds. I blew up your nativity last week. I told you that your, your wise men just weren't there. They were not at the nativity. They, they didn't get there till Jesus was a toddler. So it, I hope that the way you responded to that was to go home and take the wise men from your nativity set and carry them over to the farthest part of your living room and set them, set them up there, just kind of pointed towards the manger and probably try to make it to scale so that it would take them a couple years to reach there. But I'm here to give you good news. The shepherds were there. You can keep those shepherds in your nativity all day. The shepherds were the only audience that Mary and Joseph had at the birth of the Messiah. And I think that's important for us to understand. Shepherds, shepherds. At one time, a shepherd was a fairly noble profession in the Jewish mind. Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd. Uh, King David was a shepherd when he was anointed to be king. He, he was found in a field tending to flocks. And, and so it was this profession of leaders and kings at one time in their history. But By the time Jesus was born, shepherds did not have a great societal standing. Rather, they were considered to be close to the very bottom rung of the ladder. They were outcasts when they would come into town. They were pariahs. People would walk on the other side of the street when they saw them coming because they were considered unclean. They were unclean, which is an important word in Jewish culture. To be unclean doesn't just mean that, uh, you know, you haven't had a shower in a couple of days. My kids would be unclean quite a lot if that were the case. 
To be unclean was a specific descriptor going against Jewish law that meant you weren't worthy to be in the temple. There was a lot of different things that you could do that would cross a line in Jewish laws that would make it so you could not come into the place of worship, the only place where the presence of God dwelt. You couldn't enter into it. You had to have someone go in your place or you had to go through a long cleansing ceremony which could take seven to 14 days during which time shepherds wouldn't be allowed to do their work. And so many of them never did that which meant many of them never went and worshipped in the temple which meant many of them never got their sins atoned for because in those times it only happened in the temple which meant they were not only unclean they were considered to be sinners. They carried a lot of sin around on them. They were at the bottom of society's ladder because what they did was dirty. They had a, a dirty job. Mike Rowe would have loved them. They were spending their days sleeping outside amongst animals, and they were out not, not in a place where you have a lot of access to warm running water. You know, they were, they were physically dirty, and they were spiritually unclean. And so they were considered the bottom rung of every ladder. Religious, religious people of their day didn't consider them worthy to enter into the presence of God, which I think is exactly why God chose to make them worthy. He chose shepherds to be the very first to witness the birth of the Messiah. And I think that Luke needed us to know that as a Greek, as somebody who entered into this faith, who was brought in from the outside, who was considered a sinner and who was considered unclean and unworthy to come and worship in the temple. I think Luke wanted us, me and you, people who didn't grow up uh, as one of the people of God, the chosen people of God, but rather who were grafted into the family of God. I think he needed us to know that from the very beginning, Jesus came to make himself accessible to everyone from the bottom up. From the bottom up. So shepherds were chosen to be the very first to witness the birth of the, of the Messiah. And I love the message they were given. Look at the message of the angels. Luke writes in here the message of the angels. What a scene it must have been to have been one of these shepherds. They're just out there tending their flocks at night, you know doing what they always do. It's a normal night. Everything's normal. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears, terrifying, out of nowhere. Tells him, don't be afraid, which meant he was obviously very scary. Nope, nobody. I don't, when I show up to people, I don't say, don't be afraid. I'm not like a scary-looking person. You know, it's very unimposing when I come around. If I had to say, don't be afraid to you when I entered into your presence, that'd tell me something about who I am. This angel, scary being, shows up and, and all of a sudden it tells him where to go and what to find. The baby's in a manger and that'll be a sign to you. It's a sign to you. The baby's going to be in a manger. And then the angel's not alone. All of a sudden there's this heavenly host. We sing about the heavenly host. We talk about the heavenly host. The heavenly host was a sky filled with angels. And they were singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. They came bringing a message of peace, our peace. 
See, I believe Luke desperately wanted us to know that for those of us who have felt like we didn't belong, for those of us who have felt like we didn't fit in, like we weren't good enough, like we weren't worthy, for those who have been told we weren't worthy, we weren't good enough, we couldn't enter into the presence of God, how could God ever want anything to do with us? I used to live that way. I used to wake up every morning feeling that feeling inside. I am not good enough. And I think Luke wanted people like me to, for the first time in our lives, understand that Jesus came for me and he came to bring me peace. Peace. Peace to my unsettled mind. Peace to every thought that had ever crossed through my head that said, you are not good enough. You're not worthy. What would God want with you? Luke said, no, God, he came. And when he came, he let shepherds come and worship him first. Those who were told that they weren't even allowed to come into the temple, into the presence of God, that they would come and find this baby, not in some palace or in some sacred holy place, but rather in a manger, in a feeding trough for animals, because he made himself humble and lowly so that we would have access to him. And the angels came and said that may peace, peace be on those on whom his favor rests. Peace and goodwill towards men. This is the news of the birth of the Prince of Peace. I think Luke wanted us to know that Jesus' birth brought us a new kind of peace. And I think he wanted us to know that he brought it to everyone, no matter who they are. Jesus brings us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And he is the Prince of Peace because he is our shepherd. He appeared to shepherds first because Jesus is our shepherd. David in Psalm 23 gives a new name to God. The, the name of God is Yahweh. And uh, they, the, the, the people of Israel never said it out loud. They, they believed that the name of God was so holy that if you spoke it, something terrible might happen to you. And so rather than speak the name of God, they had all these different descriptive names for God that they would use. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rohi, which means God our shepherd. God our shepherd, the Lord my shepherd. It was coined by a shepherd who became a king, David, in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, so I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherding is a dirty job because it's not an easy job. I know we often see depictions of the shepherds from Jesus' time just laying around under a shade tree with a staff and some sheep lying around and maybe a nice fluffy sheep for a pillow. Pretty simple, easy job. But shepherds had to constantly protect and guide their sheep. If the sheep wandered in the sun for too long, they'd die of heat exhaustion. So a shepherd would guide them into the comfort of the shade and make them lie down in green pastures. If the sheep were left to wander without guidance, they would fall into crevices and cracks and get stuck 
without hope of rescue. And so the shepherd had to guide them on the right path and keep them safe. If the sheep were left unguarded, wolves and predators would consume them. But if the shepherd was present, then even though the sheep were surrounded by predators in the valley of death, they would be safe because the rod and the staff of the shepherd would protect them. The people of Israel were without a shepherd before Jesus came. It had been centuries since they'd heard from a prophet. Their temple worship was never the same after the Babylonian invasion. They were vulnerable to conflict between themselves. They were falling into the crevices of legalism and heresy, and they were giving in to the predators who would lead them astray and ultimately destroy them. And because they did not have a shepherd, they did not have peace. That's what a shepherd ultimately provides for his sheep, is peace. So Luke shows us a group of shepherds reminding us that Jehovah Rohi has come. And this is important for us still today because just like the people that Jesus was born to, we are in desperate need of a shepherd. Your heart needs a shepherd. We let anxiety and fear of the world around us scorch our souls and deprive us, deprive us of our peace. But the shepherd, should we choose to follow him, would lead us to lie down in green pastures. We choose paths of legalism or heresy, but Jesus shows us a path that is safe. And beside the still waters of truth and life, we are, we are able to, to have peace in his name. And though we're still vulnerable to following predators and wolves, he protects us and he restores our souls. Jesus is our shepherd and shepherds bring peace. Jesus is our shepherd and Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. He is our sacrificial lamb for all the lowliness of shepherds in the culture of Jesus and for all the dirty work that they had to do, they did have one redeeming quality in the eyes of the people of their time. They provided the sacrifices for the sins of all the people. The system at the time was for the firstborn lamb of each you to be set aside as an atoning sacrifice for the temple as long as it was born perfect and without blemish. As a part of the ceremony of a firstborn lamb being born, shepherds were given special swaddling clothes from the temple to wrap them in while they were inspected and as a way of sanctifying them. So when this night happens and these shepherds are told to go find a baby wrapped in a manger and lying in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes, the implication of that is very clear to them. This is no ordinary baby. Rather, here is a sacrificial lamb that has been foretold. Isaiah wrote about it 600 years prior. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb being led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers silent, so he opened not his mouth. Just before that, he says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah is describing an atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice of atonement. That's what the sacrificial lamb was. It was something pure and blameless and without sin that would take our place and take the punishment we deserved for sin, death, upon itself. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus approaching him at the Jordan River, cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. If you don't know, this is how the gospel of Jesus Christ works. We earned a punishment with all of our sin and all of our mistakes. When we, when we make choices apart from God, when you live in a way that is opposite of the way he's called and told you to live, when you don't know him and you don't know any better, and you're doing all these things that are driving you further and further away from God, the Bible says there has to be a punishment for that, that God is a just God. And the punishment, the wages of sin, it says in Romans chapter 3, is death. But the free gift of life is eternal life in Jesus. What he did was become that atoning lamb once and for all. A lot of lambs were never going to be enough for the sins of all the people of the world. They were never going to be enough. And what Luke wanted us to see and understand was that from the very beginning of the story, Jesus was making it clear that he was coming to be the atoning sacrifice once and for all. That word atonement just means to replace, to replace. He was coming to replace your punishment, to come and take it upon himself, to be that lamb brought to life. Behold the lamb of God, said John the Baptist as he came walking towards him. Come to take away the sins of of the world, and not just for those who are good enough, and not just for those who are holy enough, not just for those who look and act religious enough. No, Luke says that starting with the shepherds and beginning in a manger, this is the gospel for every person, everyone. No one who is unworthy will not be made worthy here in this place. He says it. Luke shows us this moment where Jesus is wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger as the perfect, pure, and blameless sacrificial lamb from the very beginning. And all of this was to bring us everlasting peace. And that is why Jesus is described as our Prince of Peace, our Prince of Peace. First seen by the shepherds is a sign that he came not just for those in the highest places, but also those in the lowest. Laid in a manger because even though he deserved a bed in the finest palace, he came down to the lowliest place for you and for me. There is no place you can go where Jesus wouldn't meet you. And wrapped in swaddling clothes to show us that he came to be our sacrificial lamb and take away the sins of of the world, also that we could know him, and in knowing him, know real, true peace. Isaiah coined that phrase, Prince of Peace, in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, For unto us a child is born. Do you know the song? 
Try not to sing it while I read it. To us a son is given. And the government, which when it says government here, that word just means dominion, rule, power. All the power of the world will be laid on his shoulders because he's the king of kings. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So today we're going to worship the Prince of Peace. Are you in need of the Prince of Peace this Christmas? I wonder, have you been robbed of your peace in 2020 or 2021? In its place, do you have anxiety and fear and anger and depression and confusion, restlessness? Do you need a shepherd who can lead you back to a refuge of peace? Jesus can do that. He is the Prince of Peace. And he didn't just come for the best of us. He also came for the worst of us. I don't know what you think you've done or how far you think you've come from who he wants you to be, but I want you to know today that he still came for you, that his invitation to you is just as close to you as it ever was. You can feel distant from God, but you cannot actually place distance between you and God. He is always right there. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. All you got to do is open. And go through and you can enter into a fresh and new kind of peace today. You don't have to let this season steal your peace. You don't have to go without it for one more moment. You can walk into a greater season of peace than ever before with this Prince of Peace this Christmas season. If you don't know him and you want to, you want to be in relationship with him, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes, everything I've done that has separated me from you. I give myself to you today. I believe in you, Lord, and I need you, Lord. And I want to be in relationship with you. So from this moment forward, all that I am, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.